2005 ended up being the last year at the Bulldogs, but the Tigers won the Premiership. And you ended up playing in another World Club Challenge against uh, Bradford. How was that like? Yeah, look, um, like it was. I was really sad to leave the Doggies because <clears throat> I didn't want to leave because of the team we had. But you know, look, the reality was with with players like Roy and Sonny and Rennie coming through, like there's going to be ca- casualties. I think that the year I left, it was me and Brace were the first two. Um, mm. And I even think Thursday left. Yes, yeah, after yeah. the grand, yeah, after the grand final. After the grand final, well, yes, yeah. so Thursday was the first one. Um, that first year, he got squeezed out into, and obviously he went on to be one of the game's best players ever. But you know, the next year, I think it was me and Brave actually at that time um, got squeezed out for the salary cap. Um, and I think I think um, I remember sit, talking with folks in, and I remember folks just saying, "Look, after the heat they they copped after 2003, I think it was." What the salary cap scandal? Salary cap. Um, yeah, 2002. Yeah, yeah. Everything, mm. everything um, they had to do had to be by the book because they were just under so much scrutiny from the yeah. So it was really sad because, you know, folks, it was, you know, we, we, he tried to make it work for us and we, you know, we desperately tried to make it work, but we just at that point just couldn't in terms of financial wise because other clubs had money and the Bulldogs didn't and they, you know, we had a really good team and other players wanted to play, other teams wanted the players. So, it was a good opportunity. I, Sheenzy, I had been in close contact with for years and, and, and um, ended up signing up to go over with Tigers and we went and played in a World Club tour straight away. Lost that as well. And I don't think I won one, actually. I lost the ball. <laughs> but they were good experiences. So that was that was your major drive for going to the West Tigers? Yeah, well, just I just won a premiership. And um, mm-hmm. Sheenzy, again, same, same sort of deal as I was going over to Penrith. Uh, what I went to uh, Bulldogs for was just to um, come over and fill a position. I think I ended up playing every position in the team. I mean, when I went to Tigers, I played everywhere. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was going to be our next question. We looked at a um, at rugby league project and we saw that you played 10 games at starting lock. And I'm not sure if you physically played lock on the field or not, but uh, that's where you, you were named. So. Well, I, I played a really hybrid position. Yeah, I played lock, but like a second fullback. Um, so Shenzi wanted to play what this called. He was like a bit of a bit of small ball footy, like a bit of small, bit small, a bit fast, a bit nippy. We'll use the ball a bit more than other teams do. And it would have, it would have actually, it was when we got it right at work, we just had so many injuries that first year. And, um, and like I said, I never really quite recovered to be the same player as I was in 2004 with, from my ankle injury. I was just, I just lost that little bit of leg speed that you probably need when you're playing in the outside backs. Um, so I wasn't as nippy as I probably used to be so he was kind of you know probably trying to find a position for me that suited my strengths um and i ended up i played lock and i think i played center and fullback and wing and back row i played everywhere for folks that that first first year and a bit but yeah i just couldn't really find a position in the team you know it just couldn't really just be settled so it didn't really quite work out tim sheens was uh i suppose known as quite oh i suppose like from a a fan's point of view, quite crazy. He played wingers on the bench a lot, um, outside backs. He played, like you said, outside backs at lock. Um, 
was that something he discussed to you before you kind of got there that, that this could be a position for you, this like hybrid spot? Or when he named you the 13 that first week, did you go, well, this guy's insane? Like, well, no, yeah, it wasn't. He didn't know. He never said that when I first signed. He basically just said, you'll be coming in to play in the back somewhere. So, mm. you know, <clears throat> that's the position that that's the type of player I thought that I had become like play anywhere in that backline position so it was didn't really bother me but um i remember round one he says we're going to pick you you're going to start on the wing um but you're going to be named at 13. so all right he goes but then what you're going to do is you're going to go into the middle and defend as a, a middleman but just play as like a second fullback I said right <laughs> I, anyway it took a bit of getting used to the role and after a while i did actually didn't mind it um, it was it was a quite a fun role, to be fair. But um, when you, when you're not used to being a middle defender, and then you have to go and defend in there, it's a lot harder than what people think. Mm. And, and I'm not saying it's you know like I'm only a few positions out there playing centre or wing. Like I'm only a, bit, a few more positions out. But the repetitiveness of actually making contact and running back and forth ten metres and then making contact and then it, it's a lot different to what people think. So that's that actually sapped a lot of my energy. Um, and I, I just wasn't able to be an effective player for him offensively because I was so tired in tackling. Like you ask any rugby league player, you know, I don't know if he was a winger or an outside back, you got to go and do tackle like a hooker. Like it, mm. it my energy out of you. But because of that reason, I could never find a, a niche in the team because I, mm. you know, I couldn't really play well with outside backs because mm. I was so tired from defending. And then I could, yeah. you know, it was hard for me to perform in, in my natural position. Um, when I did get chances out, out there. But, you know, like, well, anyway, that's the position you get picked in. You just sort of got to deal with it. I like the idea, though. I like teams playing differently to each other. Like, you see it a little bit now. It's not so much lock fullback, but that lock dummy half type ball player coming through. So, similar in a way, having that smaller man around the, the ruck for leg yeah. speed. And, and, and like I said, I enjoyed it. And it did work to an extent. We just... We couldn't get healthy at the Tigers. We just couldn't get our best 17 on the field. And so then it became a bit, you know, I played, I think I played six or seven games in that in that role. And then it became a bit of a, I just was putting band-aids, you know, I'd go and then play fill-in on the left wing. And then, you know, so-and-so got injured. Uh, Benji did his shoulder again. So I, I think I played a couple of games at six. I got six, but I was playing like a centre hybrid role. Like, you know, like we just were trying to put band-aids on, on the team all year it just became a bit of a battle to get us all fit so we didn't have the best of years to be honest well, interesting one with uh the, with the west tigers uh, fans talk about leichardt being the eighth wonder of the world um is it something somewhere special to play at leichardt oval on a sunday afternoon or it's amazing amazing yeah, i've got to admit it is it's probably one of the best grounds i've played at on a sunday but yeah i um i didn't i didn't realize it until i played there we played in uh, melbourne on a sunday afternoon there and um, I think we flogged them this one game, but yeah, just the atmosphere was unreal. Just how close they are, they're all they're right on top of you there at that field. And um, then like the fact that you can just look up and see them all on the roofs of the houses. It was, yeah, it is something special. It is really good. So Jamal, just the one year at the West Tigers and then off to Huddersfield. Was that, was that the plan, the one year at West Tigers or did, did something change? No, well, I was originally going to do well, I originally signed at Tigers for two years mm -hmm. uh, with an option. Um, but what had happened was uh, folks, uh, Sheenzy had basically said after a year, you're free to look elsewhere. 
Mm. So I originally what I tried to do was I tried to find a club for a year because the Gold Coast Titans were coming in. Yeah, I was yeah. Really keen to come home, like back to my home home state and hometown. Um, but at the time, no one was going to take us for a year. Everyone was wanting two years. Um, so what I thought I'd do was I'd go to England, mm-hmm. and then I'd come back. That was that was my original plan. That was my original plan was just to go there for a year, I'd play, and then I'd come home in the off season and start with the Gold Coast. Then I got there and I was talking with the Gold Coast and we couldn't figure out a deal and I just ended up loving my time over there um, and just, you know, just really enjoyed my time over in England. So I, I remember after the first year, I thought, well, I'm going to stay another year and I ended up signing another year and then that turned into four or five years and the, and the rest is history. But I did, I loved it over there. So, like, why are the Huddersfield Giants? Did you know much about the Super League or, before you signed that? Obviously, you versed Leeds and Bradford, I think it was, for your World Club Challenge. It was, like, your first taste of the English crowds. But why Huddersfield was that? Um, particular reason? Well, I was originally going to go to Hull. Um, yep. but they offered me two years. And at that time, I only wanted a year. Hmm. So I took the one year with Huddersfield because it was the only club that gave me a year on the table. And that would give me the option to come back to the Gold Coast. Hmm. Um, but as it turns out, the Gold Coast never came to fruition and I ended up loving it there in Huddersfield. It was only a small, quaint little country town, but I actually ended up loving it and it was only like 20 minutes from Leeds and half an hour from Manchester, so it was like a perfect little spot to be, you know, a quiet little place to be and um, ended up making really good friends and uh, still do to this day, very good friends with the club and the chairman of the club and the CEO, so I uh, ended up just staying there and I really loved my time there. What did you find was the biggest differences between playing in the NRL and playing Super League? Uh, well, the speed of the game is just a slight bit slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they play the game is very, very different. Um, there is a lot more attacking footy in England. They actually mm-hmm. attack a lot more, which, you know, the defences aren't as uh, good as, as over here. But in saying that, the gap has closed a fair bit. Um Maybe not the quality of the players, but the gap of the, the top echelon, you know, the English, top English players, when they all get together and play against Australia, mm. the gap's not as big now. Um, but look, just the, the sheer quality. Look, over here, we've got such a big pool of players, whereas over there, they get all the rugby league players, right? They're all the players that don't want to play soccer mm-hmm. and don't want to play rugby union. Yeah. So the pool is like tiny. So to be to be fair, they do do well considering it's a northern. It's only up in the northern of England. That's where they're getting their pool from, and mm-hmm. to get as many players as they do to have a competition is actually quite amazing. I wanted to add on to Matthew's question. I actually heard a podcast with Chris Flannery on it. Um, where he played in England, and he had a theory that um, because of the weather conditions and made the pitches a bit slower through preseason and stuff, he felt that actually made a bit of an impact on, um. Maybe the training not being, he said the training didn't feel as physically hard. He said it was very difficult, but he said he felt like there was a lot, there was a lot more physical in NRL. And he, he blamed, like, you know, because sometimes it was snowing. I made it hard to do any field sessions. Um, it's raining all the time. So the fields are a bit damp and um, not as easy. Could that play an impact on the Super League quality, maybe not being as fast because they don't have the hard fields? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. He's Bob on there, Flano. Like, so <clears throat> during the preseason over there, so in Australia, we get two big weeks of six-week windows. You'll get sort of, you know, mid-November all the way through to the end, back end of December. Then you get, you know, January all the way through to, you know, March. Like, so you get two six-week blocks of footy training where you get a good preseason. Whereas over in England, you get 
you get maybe four weeks before you have your Christmas Boxing Day break. And then your season starts like early Feb. So you only get another four weeks afterwards. But then, so you get two four-week blocks. But in that two four-week blocks, you've got to deal with frozen fields, you know, snow, you know, soggy fields, rain. You can't do as much wrestle or outdoor activities because it's, the fields just aren't conducive. You, you, if your fields are uh, sloppy and wet, you can't train on them every day because if you wreck them, you wreck them for months. Mm. They turn into slosh. And then you can't train on them when they're too frozen because they're hard. They're just like they're like running on a brick road. Like you just you can't. So you got all this. And then only certain amount of clubs have enough money to have the three G pitches. Mm-hmm. But even those have to be cleared properly when it snows. Like so, the the outdoor the weather over there does make it hard for elite teams, and I reckon it make it even harder for junior sports like for for the real mm-hmm. ones who go and play. That's why they you know they probably don't have a big pool of players because like you know who wants to trudge around as a eight-year-old and go play in a frozen field on a Saturday morning mm. given everything point. you just said there it's a surprise that it'll switch to summer summer rugby league earlier they well, didn't switch until 97 yeah that they yeah. actually should 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 have switched but yeah, yeah look because of the football it's just really hard for them to get the tv and they need the money off the tv right yeah. see so it has to be the winter uh, with uh, so you your training's obviously been impacted. Does that mean more gym sessions uh, opposed to you know get some sort of fitness? Um, and does that mean some of those forwards were, you know, a bit harder to tackle, a bit more crazy, I guess, because they're just yeah in the gym too too much. Yeah, you do do a lot more off. Yeah, so um, I know look, there's a lot of Australian coaches that go over and they struggle the first year how to adapt to it, um, but there is a lot more off feet fitness training um, as opposed to on-feet fitness running because it's just not achievable that you can get as much miles into them out on fields as you want. Um, so there is a lot of off-field um, conditioning, boxing, you know, and the gym machines to get to get players fit. Um, but they do play a hell of a lot more games. So they run two – there's two competitions. So you've got the regular season, which I think is like four, four or five games longer anyway, and then you've got the Challenge Cup, which runs in and then most clubs play like two or three friendlies. So their season is quite a bit longer than, than if you go all the way through the Challenge Cup final, I think it was like you end up playing like 12 extra games on top of NRL players. So there's a lot of lot more footy being played over there. So the coaches um, are happy for their players to be a little bit underdone at the start of the seasons yeah. because they know you're mm. going to play so much footy that uh, they're not worried about getting so many kilometres into their legs and getting them to these super fit athletes like we've got in the NRL because they just know, look, we're going to play 35 games this year. Like, you're going to get enough footy to get fit. You know, it's not about being fit at the start of the year. It's just such a long season over there with the two competitions running. And if you're a genuine contender in both, you know, the coaches want their players fit at the, the good time of the season when the, when the Challenge Cup finals are coming up and when the semis are there. So... There's not as big of an emphasis on being as fit and strong as the NRL. Was it hard to mentally switch from the Super League and then like the following weekend you play and then knock out Challenge Cup fixture? Was that hard mentally to switch? Not really, but it's um it's 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 really it's awesome. I used to love the Challenge Cup. It's, it's a really good um it's a really good system, a really good idea that I you know, I think the NRL, you know, like over there they have it, it comes through all the different uh, divisions. So sometimes you get a, a division, you know, like a lower club. Sometimes they beat the Super League clubs and it's like huge news. 
when a, when a lower division club beats a Super League club and goes yeah. through. I think a couple of years ago, I think Lee got all the way to a semi-final. They were like the division below. Mm. They they ended up bringing like thousands. Like they just the town, the whole towns just go. It's like a really brilliant concept. Um, um, probably the hardest thing that that uh, the NRL players have to endure when they go and play in England is the Easter turnaround. Two games over three days. Yeah, that's um, that's that's unthinkable here, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's never it never be done here. It's it's and it, and it's hard. I'm telling you, it's like so because I coached at St Helens, so one of the big derbies is St Helens v Wigan. Mm, yes, yeah. and that game's always on the Sunday. So that's the the Sunday game. So we always play the Friday. We have a Friday against some other games. So like <laughs> you're going into this derby where it's just a complete smash up, and the players have just played two days before and there's just nothing's being held back. It's just getting played at breakneck speed. Like it's like a, it's like a, you know, like a proper they, The Derby games are huge over there. Just the whole town's coming off. No one takes a backward step and you're playing them after you've already just played a game. It's really, really hard on the bodies. So how do you prepare that as a player, right? Because we always hear in like the NRL and, you know, you've got a week to prepare. You know, if you lose a game, you go back to the drawing board for a week. Do you keep in mind that you got the second game on the Sunday, but we're playing Friday? Do you focus on Friday and then just wait until Friday night until after you win or lose until you focus on the Sunday? Or because I would hate to personally win a game on Friday, and then you know you want to you know celebrate with the boys and all that, and then go hey Sunday, Sunday afternoon we're back again doing this again. Like how does that work as a player and a coach? How does how do you prepare? Like it's just unthinkable. Well, we yeah. Well, what we used to do, we would prepare prepare for the for the Easter weekend like three or four weeks beforehand. So we would be really like starting to back the training sessions down and starting to build their energy and 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 really lighten the load of how hard we trained. So we would make sure that the leading into the Easter weekend that the players were as fresh as they possibly could be while they're playing. Then you get to that Easter weekend and and all you do is you prepare them for your game one game. And you try and win that. You try and get your first win knocked off because it takes the pressure off your second game. Not that not that you want to take the pressure off, but it's like if you if you get the win out of the way, you can recover better. Everyone feels good about themselves. Mm. So recovery is a lot easier when you've won. Trust me. I know people. There's no scientific belief behind it, but when you've won a game of footy compared to when you lose, recovering always is ten times better. I don't know why you might sleep better, but the recovery is always heaps better, and it's so important the recovery. So. We would just try and get that win out of the way and get a, get a W on the board and then take the pressure off the boys and just say, go home, relax tonight, recover. We'll have a really late video session, 10 o'clock tomorrow. Everyone just sleep in, have your breakfast with your families, you know, lazy in around about 9.30ish. We'll get everyone a massage, um, check all our injuries, do an injury triage, and then we'll do a, like a really light little bit of video, 10 or 15 minutes. Don't want to keep them there too long and then send them home just to get on the couch for the weekend. And then we'd probably bring them in. We used to bring them back in on a Sunday afternoon just for like half hour, light, really light ball work just to get them moving, even if we were just outside walking, walking through what we're going to do. And then just get them there and give them another massage and then get them there on game days and just get them in there nice and early, go through a really long warm-up, you know, a bit of Pilates and then get their massages at the games and just try and get them as mentally ready as you, as you can. But like, you know, you never get a player going into a game and the, the day, the second game going, I feel great. You can see it in their eyes. They're all in there, like, you know, feeling something, like a shoulder or a hip, you know, like, it's just, you just, you just been bashed around for 80 minutes and you got to do it again, like, 72 hours later. Like, it's just, just not enough time to recover. Was it uh, always the plan to go into coaching? 
No, I had a, I had a bit of a back injury that just lingered for a couple of years, and then I, I finally went and got it checked out, and, and I needed a surgery. Um, and the, the surgeon said, "Oh, it's a pretty standard procedure, and then we'll get you, you know, six to eight week recovery, and you'll be back." I said, "Yeah, no drama." So I had this surgery done anyway. When when I come out of the surgery, the surgeon's your back was just not good, not in a good nick. Uh, we've had to do a lot more surgery, and they've had to fuse they fused a couple of the vertebrae together. So hey, look, you can come back, but it's just going to be a really long rehab. And I I just knew I didn't have it in my heart to come back and do the rehab and try and beat all these young blokes off to get back in the team. And I just thought it'd be better if I just go out on my own, you know, you know, I'm feel like I'm going on my own terms, calling it myself rather than, you know, I couldn't make the team and then I would just have to retire. I, just, I didn't want to retire like that. Yeah. I wanted to say to myself, you know, like I feel like you had a good run, your body just can't do it anymore. That's it. So I made the decision to retire and um that Brownie and Huddersfield were just in the process of looking for another assistant, you know, or or interview and then um he just said to me look do you want to don't want the position it's yours if you, you want it uh you'll have to start as the bottom assistant and do all the shitty jobs and coach the young kids as well and i thought oh, well, i hadn't thought about it but i hadn't got anything else to do so i thought i'll just you know try it and end and, up and loving it did it for 10 years before i came back here to australia would you consider going back into coaching in some capacity again no i can't now <clears throat> i um when I first got out of the sports, I got out of the coaching, I obviously had my weekends, my Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays back and just to spend with the family. I can't get yeah. back up you know, now, that I've, now that I've had them and had a taste of my weekends. <laughs> I, can't, I can't ever imagine myself going back into sport and not having weekends again. I just, it's just not my thing. I was doing some research and I was thinking, you did a lot at such a young age. Because uh, did you retire? Was it if my maths at 29 or 28? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and... I just go to forget because when you came into the Bulldogs and you played the Raiders, you looked very natural as like a top grader. And I just, when I was going back doing some maths, I'm like, it was only like 22 at the time, wasn't it? 21, 22 coming through the Bulldogs. And you just played like you were, I don't know, just you look more, you know. Seasoned. Seasoned, thank you, that's the word. More seasoned, like pro about yourself. Like, it's just, that's why it shocked me when I was doing some research. And I was like, oh, 29, that's. Yeah, I Look, you know, I started playing a debut when I was 18, and then I got, and then I got. Obviously, I was around that group. Like I said, you're like a really experienced group. So, like, I had a really good footing, and then obviously, I played a lot of footy before I came to the doggies. So, I felt like, you know, the doggies got me at a time where I was ready to mature and start playing a different level of footy, and mm. and then obviously, I got to play with a much higher caliber of player. Um, and you know, maybe I was a little bit more furnished at the doggies because I'd had that really good underpinning when I was at, at Canberra and then, then obviously coming to the dogs it was such a such a high elite talent group you know I just felt like things just clicked straight away I didn't think everything was quite natural there um and yeah look you know for for, for a younger bloke you know I was grateful to do a lot of those hard things earlier on in my career but you know like I retired I really enjoyed my coaching over in England I actually loved it I actually moved and moved with Brownie over to St Helens um, we won a premiership there. We won a Super League title uh, with St Helens, uh, Old Trafford. Uh, and then I, I was Justin Holbrook's assistant, uh, who's at Titans now. And he's went on to do unbelievable things there. And I think uh, Wolfie's taken over that same squad and he's, he's winning everything as well. So, yeah, it was a really good time over there and played with a really good, good group. And then I coached with a really good group. So it's kind of fair to say you're, you're the one who brought this massive success to St Helens. 
I mean, that's a fair uh, comment to say. Well, look, we we went. Well, what me and Brownie went to St Helens when they had a really really good group of young kids coming through. Mm. Um, and obviously we won a grand final with Brownie and a lot of those players were only 18 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then we didn't win for a while. It took, took that group a, a while to sort of establish themselves and find their own identity as a group. Um, but now they've, they've got such a good little group. There's, there's some players there that just fantastic rugby league players. And um, when Justin went over and started coaching them, he really took them onto the next level. I think they won the Challenge Cup. They, they won everything, I think. I think they won the, the treble again last year. Just a really, really good group of young players. Really exciting group of uh, good English footy players. Really exciting for the future, actually. Just to touch, we touched on you playing for your country a bit earlier in France. Game two against Australia, 40,000 people in Brisbane. What was that like? And can you tell us the feeling of standing there with the national anthems playing? Yeah, um, so good. Like a, like, a, uh, yeah, like a big achievement. Sort of ticked off in your in your career like i feel like i from a you know uh, from a small town here in the goldie i feel like i achieved everything that i set out to do i gave it a good shake you know like i'd like to think that i used every bit of talent that i had like i wasn't as talented as some other blokes but i feel like the talents that i had i used them to the best as i could to to get everything i could squeeze out of my career mm. you know? like you know played in a you know grand final winning side of the doggies and, you know coached to you know, played for my country, um, you know, like I've, these things, like you just dream of doing in your backyard. That was one of them, you know, like, you know, a really good team and against one of the best Aussie teams um, to play against uh, and in front of Suncorp, you know, on a pack, I think it was a Friday night as well. It was just, it was just a really, you know, um, high emotional supercharged feeling, but we ended up getting towed up in that game as well, I think. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. It was a, a good experience, but not a good memory. <laughs> so, um, you kicked a couple of goals for New Zealand. Yeah, I actually, I, I remember we had no goal kicker that weekend. Uh, I remember Daniel saying, oh, you're going to have to kick. And I remember saying, oh, we did a kickoff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I just managed to be the, I was the best out of the worst group. We were, we were in a good group. Um, but I, I remember speaking, I rang Haz during the week. I said, Has, give me, give me something. And he gave me a few tips. He was really good tips, you know, just to concentrate on my target, you know, through, leg through to my target, blah, blah, blah. And I actually kicked her. I think I kicked two from three that night. You did? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I think there was a couple that, that were a bit further out as well. They weren't close ones. So did you um, maybe, you know, tell Has or, you know, or wait, well, might have been at the Tigers at the time. Did you say next week, boys, I'm goal kicking? Were you happy? Were you happy to pack no, that away? No, no, I was happy to put it, put it back in the tool bag, um, especially when we had has there. You don't have to worry about it then. But uh, no, it was, it was a good experience. But I, I didn't like the, the pressure of kicking. I don't know how has does it. Well, thank you for your time so far, Jamal. We've got um, we like to finish off with a couple of fun questions to yep. throw at you. So the next, uh, I don't know, eight or so questions, we uh, call it the quick fire questions. So we'll just throw them at you. You give us what comes to mind first. Right. And then once we're done there, we've got about five uh, selected questions from uh, the social media accounts, followers on social media. So Scotty, would you like to kick off the quick fire questions? Yeah. Uh, Favourite club you played at? Yeah, yeah. Good answer on the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Favorite position? Uh, center. Best player you played with? Uh, that's Sunny. Sunny. Best player you played against? Um, 
probably Willie. Best coach you've ever had? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'd have to say Folksy because we won, but Brownie in terms of uh, Nathan Brown in terms of teaching you how to be a complete athlete. Who was your favourite teammate? Uh, that, that's easy. That's Big Willie. Most annoying teammate. Well, that's easy as well. Matty Utah. <laughs> Do you have a, a Matty Utah story that could be shared? Oh, he, he used to. He was. He had. He was a. He was a kleptomania. He used to steal your thongs all the time. <laughs> right. He used to steal thongs. So it got to the. So it got so bad. We used to have to write our names underneath the shoe. Big black Nico, so Maddie never knew. You know, if he stole your thongs, you could just like lift his foot up and you could see that they were yours. <laughs> oh, he, god, he, I don't know why he used to see the thing for thongs, he'd steal everyone's thongs. Was he oh. doing it on purpose or was he just not sure where he left his? Well, he just he used to turn up in bare feet and he just looked for thongs and just come <laughs> and walk out. He must have had like 40 pairs of thongs when he got home. <laughs> Do you reckon he, why did you reckon he still has the 04 collection? At home, do you maybe... he, he had that many pair of Havianas. I'm not. I'm not surprised he's still got them in new boxes at home. <laughs> oh, oh. maybe we go. Your favorite. You said your favorite teammate was quickly was Willie Mason. Yeah. Was it because he shouted coffee or what was oh, that? What was the game? Well, look, you... Willie was the type of bloke where he, did, he wanted everyone to be having as much fun as him. Like he was that type of bloke. He, you know, you had, you had to be having a really good time around Willie. That's just that's how he was. He was just a fun, fun bloke. But he was a good teammate to be with. He was, he's still one of my good mates today. I still speak to him quite regularly. Like he's just a he's just a good bloke. Just a good, honest, you know, good bloke. You know what I mean? He, you know, yeah. And we used to have a good time. We had a beer as well. That was a bonus. That's really good to hear. Okay, from the social media on Twitter, from at Ali Musa nineteen ninety. What were some of the highlights in your career as a bulldog? And what influence has the club had in your playing career? Oh, well, the highlights were easily the 2004 grand final and that group, that group of players. Um, and the influence, you know, that, that culture and the family vibe to that when they first went to the club, when I first went to the club, that was one thing I, you know, I thought was special about the place, the way that they, they got around each other. Um, I don't know how it's felt over the last few years, but, Let's hope they can get that back in the club, that that culture and build that culture again because no better feeling because the fans were like part of that culture. You know, we would we would play footy to, you know, for the fans back then. It was like we would make sure that they were involved in everything. You know, even when we won and we went back to Belmore, coming up Belmore Road, like, you know, it was the, the fans that were getting us, you know, they were, they were the ones, you know, they were just the ones that was we were most happy to do it for. You could feel that as a fan back mm. then as well. I think one of the best comments, because it was like the hottest ticket in town to watch Bulldogs play a game in 04. And I think one of the best things was other fans actually wanting to watch the Bulldogs play. It wasn't just Bulldogs fans who wanted to be there or watching on TV. It was the whole game wanted to watch the Bulldogs play and see how yeah. they went on the weekend. Yeah, I'd agree with that because we were playing such a, you know, a good brand of footy. Um, but you know, you know, that, 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 again, that probably goes down to that really unpredictable side that we had because we weren't trying to do what we were doing. We were just playing footy. Okay, from at the Larry Taylor, uh, who is the best setter you've come across, and who would you pick as the starting setters in twenty twenty two? 
Uh, well, the best centre I played against was Gaznia, um, just a real complete athlete with good feet and quick hands, and he was a top, top player. But um, this year, one's got to be Shoot, Shop, not sure how we pronounce it. Yeah, Aaron Shop, uh, yeah. Shop. Yeah, he's a, he's a powerhouse, isn't he? Mm. Um, look, I don't know what they'll do with the other centre, and maybe Naden. Like he mm-hmm. seems to be a player that um, that Buzz likes. So from brought him over from Penrith. I know he didn't play a lot. He did. He played the back end a lot more, didn't he? Yeah, last year. Play a lot at the start of the year, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what what other options do we have there. We have Naden Shop, um, Braden Burns. He's came from South. Oh, Braden Burns. He came from South. Yeah, he can play there. Yeah, look, one of them too. That I think they're equally as good as each other. Those two. Yeah, but there's I think a few. Uh, side in the uh, that young kid. That shop, I think he's a good, he's got a good future coming forward. Just while we're on that, where do you see Jake Avarillo? Do you see him as a long term half, or do you see him moving about a bit? Look, I didn't before last year, but I, he did play well. Like, mm. I actually didn't. I thought he was a centre. That's I think that's where he debuted, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's good yeah. they freakishly tried too. Yeah, I, th- I thought he. I look. I, I, look, I don't know enough about him because I don't watch him train day in, day out. But from what I've seen him play, like, you know, like he's probably, <clears throat> I didn't think he was a half, but last year he, he played good. He played a few games where he just like kept running, throwing dummies and just running straight through the team. He's definitely a ball runner. So, mm. you know, where he develops, he might develop into a centre in the future. We could play him in the halves for now and just figure it out. I don't think there's any rush. Yeah. I don't think we, I don't think we have to, as a club, win a grand final next year. I think we've still got time to just make sure we get the right team together and everyone's playing in the right positions. Like it's not a, it's not a win at all cost next year. I know they've signed some really, really good players and everyone's expecting us to do better, but I think that's the key. I think the key is just to improve next year on top of what they've done and start playing a little bit more attractive style of footy. That's the first thing I reckon. I must say, I love the answer how you, you said us. Still, like, at least time on, like, the Bulldogs well, still, like, you know, bleed through. Yeah, like. I can't desert now. It's been a really painful last few years. <laughs> the Bulldogs so I'm like, well, you know, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm, I'm there when we turn it around and I can, then my mates can stop putting shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> Your mates got no right to put shit on you. No, I know, but when you support the dogs, there's not many, there's not, over the last few years, there hasn't been many pretty good weekends to go and watch it with your mates. <laughs> yeah, that's true, I guess. That's true. Well, the next question on Twitter, uh, I think you've touched on it a little bit, but we'll ask it anyway because they mm. they tweeted it across at nfcr07. Uh, asked, how did you find the culture at the Bulldogs? You've touched up on a bit, but yeah, it was back then, back back when and, uh, when I came to the club, it was very like um, uh, like all about us versus anyone else who wanted to come into our house. So it was that that type of mentality, like. Um, but the, not just in that sense, but like the way that the club trained, there was a really big emphasis on training as hard as we possibly could and being the fittest team and, and being the team that could kick it down the other end of the field and make another team suffer. That was like that real tough old school Bulldogs mentality. You know, we'll, we're going to be, we're going to outfit you. We're going to be too strong for you. We're going to keep kicking it down the other end of the field and see how long you can, you know, how much you can take of it. Um, and, you know, there was a guy that used to work in the club. I'm not sure if he's still there or not. I think he is, actually. Uh, Gary Carden. He was just synonymous with training up the young blokes and getting them fit for the first team. Like, he just would get the young blokes in there and he'd just flog them. 
And by the time they were ready for first grade, they were like ready born athletes, you know what I mean? Like, and they just had this tough mentality of, you know, nothing can break me. I'm coming up from, you know, a really hard training from, from the juniors and I'm ready for first grade. So the culture was really, really good culture. It was a really winning, tough winning mentality. Um, I never really experienced it in any other club. Could I just ask something to try to implement that, like maybe at the West Tigers and Huddersfield towards... Um, we tried group? to implement it to an extent at other clubs. Um, but I just think it's, if you don't have that ingrained in your culture, I think it's too hard to try and implement. I think um, teams like Melbourne get away with it because I think Bellamy implemented it really early and when they didn't really have an identity and now everyone's you know, Melbourne's synonymous with the way they trained and how professional and how hard they train and how hard Bellamy is on the younger players and he makes them go out and pick, wake up at four in the morning and go pick rubbish bins up and, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they've just mm-hmm. built this culture at the club. It's just tough and they just, the kids come through and there's no arrogance. It's like, you know what I mean? And those cultures, they, they take years and years to build. And, you know, I was coming in on the back of Dean Pays and, and the Mortimers and the Hughes and the, like the, you know, the down Brits, like, you know, like I'm coming into this, oh, that's the culture I walked into on the back of errors before me, you know, like errors and errors of family club, you know, Bullfrog and Kev Moore and, you know, these blokes that built that club, you know, I, I got the coattails of that group, of, of that culture. And I don't know whether the club lost that and if they're trying to get it back, but um, that was a big reason why we were so successful, I reckon. How, if, if it is lost, how do you get it back? Is it involving former players that were there at the time or we've seen Willie Mason at training recently? Was that a step in the right direction? Yeah, look, the reason why that culture stayed at the club was because there was Kev Moore was there still, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd been carrying that culture on that being, he'd been in for, you know, 30 years. And then there was your folks who had been there for 30 or 40 years and, and you got like, you know, you had old blokes that were still, Gary Carden was there and all these blokes that had been at the club for years carrying this culture on. Uh, that When you get new coaching staff in, sometimes that tends to die off bit by bit, you know, like how much of it is not there, I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. definitely the way you get it back is by bringing in people who are synonymous with the way that it was. And mm-hmm. then you have to find a willing coach and a staff that are, wanting to have that culture of the club there. And then, you know, it sounds like they do have one there with Baz and his group. So, you know, all, all he can do is try and rebuild. That's, you know, that's the first step is actually acknowledging that how good it was and trying to get it back. Okay, on over to Instagram at Ward Brands uh, has asked, how did your transition from the NRL to Super League go? Um. It was fine. It was um, it was obviously hard because you're moving to the other side of the world and playing in completely different conditions. But it was fine. You know, it was at the end of the day when you put your boots on and you run out, run out in the field. After five minutes, you don't know how cold it is. You know, you don't know how hot it is. It's just mm-hmm. you're out there playing a game of footy for eighty minutes and all that other stuff. That's you know, just it's just noise out on the side and you just you, you don't focus on it. So. The transition actually wasn't that bad in terms of playing. I think the hardest transition was just getting used to the way of life. Um, um, just the way that they, they lived was completely different, um, which I soon settled into the pub culture. No, that that doesn't take too long to settle into. <laughs> I was actually going to ask about the beers. <laughs> well, they, they drink pints. Mm. I remember them handing a pint, pint to me. I remember when I, oh, I drank my first pint. I remember getting it and I was thinking... 
why is this so big? Like, <laughs> I just I was looking at it. I was thinking, what, what if they did? It's like a stone. They've just given me this big glass of beer. Anyway, after a year of drinking pints, you come back home to Australia and you're drinking schooners. It's like, it's like lolly water. You just you're chucking them back like you're drinking shots. <laughs> Over there, they, the beer is a lot thicker and stronger. It's, yeah, it was actually, I really, really, that's one thing I do miss about England is the pub culture. Is it true? Do they sell, um, do they serve beer at room temperature over there? I've heard oh, that. All the time. You still yeah. really annoy me. Well, because yeah. it's so cold <laughs> over there, you know, Doesn't who wants freezing cold beer? <laughs> I, I can't drink it if it's not freezing cold. Like, yeah. that handle beer and I like it, you take a sip, I'd nearly spit it out, but <laughs> you just get used to it. I was the only one that used to turn up to a barbecue with ice in the esky. Oh, oh wow. was crazy. <laughs> that is it's just wrong, isn't it? I just they drink warm beer. I don't know. It's just, it's just the way it is. You, know, you, actually, you can get them sometimes. Actually, you can get them cold at the, at the pub because they come out the um at the tap. Mm. Um, but look, if you, if you just go to someone's house and they give you a can, it's look, it's likely to be warm. <laughs> so that that's interesting because coming from this part of the world, um, Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands, you wouldn't think of that. Would you? Like, no, it's, it's odd to show up with ice. It's, it's just what you do. Yeah. I up with ice in my ass It was like, <laughs> people would be looking at you, why have you got so much ice in there? Well, because I want my beer to be cold. What are, <laughs> what are you talking about? You become the legend here. If you brought an eskew full of ice, you become everyone's best mate because I can yeah, see their right. beers in the eskew. So people, people want to borrow your ice over here. <laughs> you your because... ice at your eskew. Oh. Oh, that is absolutely insane. We have one more question from... Uh, Instagram at Isaac Kurd underscore on uh, sorry, was, yeah, on Instagram. What was the toughest part during your NRL journey? Um, I guess trying to um, find the balance between being having a really professional outlook on being an athlete because uh, you're young and you want to, you know, go and have a beer every now and then and have a good time with your mates and, you know, finding that right balance between being. Um, professional and having a good time was probably something I didn't find to a lot later in my career. Um, you know, would it have made me a better player? 100% if you can be a little bit more professional makes you a better player. Um, but, you know, like you, you're living a life, you know, that you doesn't seem right, doesn't seem real. Like, you, you know, you're playing NRL every single weekend with your best mates and you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. <laughs> you know, like it's hard to... Uh, you know, live in reality sometimes because you're not, you know, like you're used to watching these blokes growing up on TV. Next minute, it's you living it. You get to do it. So, you know, I really battled with trying to be uh, professional and look after my body, so to say, as much as I probably should have. Um, and probably took just took me a little bit longer to probably grow up and get a bit more professional. And by that stage, you know, I don't think my body was doing, doing too well. Is there, before we end the podcast Jamal is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to touch on yourself or anything that we haven't asked uh no I feel like we've, we've covered a fair bit there man I think, yeah I've really enjoyed it actually that's oh, good to hear I uh, just want to yeah sorry just want to, um thank you for your time you've been I think we've been on here for almost two hours now so thank you so much for um being so accessible and and sitting down with us and having a chat and you know um whatever a former player of, of the Bulldogs says yes to sitting down and talking to us. It's always a great thrill for Scotty and I. So thank you so much. And to hear that you enjoyed looking back on your career, that's, that's a bonus for 
well, I hope for yourself, but also for Scotty Eli, for us to be able to, to do that with you. It's, it's a big little honour. So thank you very much. Well, thanks yeah. for having me on, boys. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I want to thank you as well. Thanks for being so cool and straight away responding and all that. I really appreciate it. It's, no drama, boys. Was, pinch was... myself like every week that uh, we, well, every so often we get our next player that we watched on TV or watched at the stadium being our, like, our rock stars, I guess. And then next minute they're wanting to have a chat with us, which means the world to us. So. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome, boys. I really enjoyed it.